We've been doing a, this year a study in the book of Acts. And one of the things we saw at the very beginning is that understanding the kingdom of God is the key to Acts. And so we talked about the kingdom and realizing that Acts is the foundations for the church. And so we want to be building that way. We want to be making sure that we're building how Jesus wants. It's his church. Sometimes we get this idea that Jesus said, I want you to build my church. He actually said, I'll build my church. But too often we think he just said, have a good idea and and see if it works. (laughs) No, he actually said, I've got a, a plan and a pattern. And so we want to follow his. So we talked a couple weeks ago about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That when we talk about the kingdom, we need help. This kingdom is so different. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to get some drum background. In case you're... I'm hoping his Bible's in there because he's not going to throw something at me. (laughs) Let's pray. Uh, As I said to the guys this morning, I know the guy who's preaching this morning. We need to pray. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you're the one who brings revelation. We We acknowledge that we need you when it comes to understanding the kingdom. We need you to live in this kingdom. And we need you to partner with Jesus in seeing the kingdom advanced. And so we just invite you and say, speak to us, every one of us. Only you can do that individually, and we're so grateful. Amen. Acts chapter 2 is this wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this wonderful sermon. uh, And people said they were cut to the heart and they said, what, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus you know, for the remission of sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and his promises for everyone. And then verse 40 says this. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I read that and I went, whoa. <laughs> that kind of seems like a little bit out of context. All this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and now be saved from this perverse generation. That word perverse literally means crooked or twisted. And those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added. I looked at that and I went, that's a bit different. And then I happened to be reading in Philippians and I saw that Philippians also said in chapter 2, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Made me realize that it's almost as if the Holy Spirit was recapping these different kingdoms. We talked about earlier on, the kingdom of God is so totally different than the world the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the world. It's so totally different that in comparison, the kingdom of the world looks like it's twisted, crooked, perverse. Kingdom of God is ruled by God. That's what kingdom means, the rulership of God. Kingdom of 
darkness or the kingdom of the world is ruled by Satan. Bible, two places Jesus said, talk about Satan or the, the devil as the ruler of this world. And so we need to realize that the world we live in is actually ruled by Satan. But when we get saved, we're transferred from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, ruled by God. Now, what that means is that the kingdom of God is typified by love because it represents the ruler. God is love. Jesus said the one commandment, the the new commandment he gives is that you love others as I've loved you. The kingdom of darkness is represented by its ruler and is typified by selfishness. The kingdom of the world, the main value is selfishness. If you look at uh, Ezekiel 14 where it talks about Satan being thrown out of heaven and he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. Let me tell you, when someone always talks about I, they're probably under the kingdom of darkness. Because that's what that is. The kingdom of God, because it's love, says everyone's valuable. Every person is valuable. Every person's important. The kingdom of darkness, because it's typified by selfishness, says only some are valuable. Those who benefit me somehow are valuable. Everyone else, they're not, they have no value. Now think about the world. That's how the world functions. If I can amass wealth by taking from you, the world applauds that. The kingdom, because everyone's valuable, is typified by unity. Being together, we love one another. The kingdom of darkness is typified by division. Hey, only those who are on my side and benefit me have any value. I don't care about anyone else, and so get rid of them. The kingdom of God, because of that, has a value for freedom. Meaning, you make decisions for your life. The kingdom of darkness values control. Someone else wants to make decisions for your life. Why? Because they don't really care about you. It's how they can control you to benefit them. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? All that is to help you understand that these two kingdoms are in conflict. They're totally opposed to one another. They're totally different and totally opposed to one another. So much so that if you read in James chapter four, this is the Bible. It says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's not me, that's the Bible. If you want to be a friend of the world, he's not talking about being friends with people in the world, he's talking about the the values, the ideas. If you want to accept those, you actually make yourself an enemy of God. They're that opposed. You can't have a foot in both camps. The camps are too far apart. My feet don't go that far. You can't have a foot in both camps. 
They're totally different. In fact, let me give you a couple of illustrations. Matthew chapter 6. I know it's in my Bible somewhere. Verse uh, 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now understand, it doesn't say you shouldn't serve God and mammon. It's not a good idea to serve God and mammon. You can't do it. It's impossible. If you think you can, you're deceiving yourself. Now what is mammon? Mammon is actually a spiritual entity behind the world's financial system. It's the spirit as part of the kingdom of darkness that controls the world's finances. The NIV translates it money. You can't serve God in money. Totally misses the whole point. Because it's not money, because money is neutral. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. But many people misunderstand that because of the mistranslation. It's actually a spiritual entity behind the world system that tries to get us to love money, to worship money, and to trust in money. Rather than the kingdom of God, to love God, to worship God, and to trust in him. Wonderful words this morning. Yet the world system says, no, you better have enough that you trust in this. So you understand, remember, this kingdom of darkness is built on selfishness. And so when your trust is in money, the whole idea is, I've got to amass as much as I can. And it doesn't matter who I hurt in that process. Someone asked J. Paul Getty once, how much is enough? Had more money he could spend in his lifetime than the wealthiest man in the world at that time. And he said, more. Always a little more. See, the plan of the spirit of mammon is to breed insecurity and fear. Fear of the future. How much will be enough? What if something bad happens? I need more. The plan of the kingdom of God is that our trust is in him for our future. There's uh, seven parts to talking about kingdom finances. I'm not going to do that this morning. That was just an illustration. We'll do that at some point uh, in the future. But let me say this. It starts, understanding kingdom finances starts with recognizing and renouncing mammon, the spirit of the world. If we don't do that, I've heard many people teach on biblical pattern finances. I've done it and left that part out. And the problem is that we then approach finances from a selfish perspective. See, it's a renouncing of mammon that breaks us free from selfishness. So we get teaching about tithe. Give and you'll get. God just becomes a means to my 
end, which is trusting in money anyway, rather than trusting in him. I'm getting sidetracked because uh, we'll talk about this at some point in the future. Somebody will, I don't know. Uh, what, the whole thing is we're trying to say, okay, how do we become kingdom people? Jesus sp- spoke more about the kingdom than anything else. Ten times more about the kingdom than about salvation. Because the kingdom of God is so different. It's so hard for us to comprehend it. We need the Holy Spirit's revelation. We need to see that it's totally different. You can't take a little bit of the world and add a little bit of Bible and say, I've now got it. There is something of dying to that and renouncing that. I'm stepping on toes here, so just be nice. I'm going to get to nice stuff. Look at John chapter 10. We're going to get to nice stuff now. John chapter 10, verse 10. What? You guys are so fast. Is that Tony this morning? The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Tony got a preview of this. That we, were, we meet with some pastors on Friday morning to pray. And one of the guys was talking about this. And it hit me just that very thing. That life here. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's not, we're not talking prosperity doctrine. We're talking about life. Literally means, it's the Greek word zoan, and it means all of life. Body, soul, spirit. It's everything. And so God's intent is that we have an abundance. We actually live. And the, the key is, if you understand that word in its context, is that only possible when we're connected to Jesus. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't actually have life without Jesus. That's kind of why he says you must be born again. See, the Spirit doesn't have life without Jesus. But what that means is that the world's way of looking at things tries to fit all of life into body and soul. And leaves out the spirit part. Leaves out the eternal part. Leaves out the purpose part. Tries to fit it into body and soul and says, if you only have the things that meet your physical needs, you'll have life. I saw an ad when I was over in uh, Melbourne. Guy sitting on a beach drinking a beer. This is the life. (laughs) Holidays are to get recharged for the real stuff. That's not the real stuff, but it seems like the idea of the world is the whole purpose is to not have a purpose. The whole purpose is to get to a place where I can sit on a beach and drink beer and do absolutely nothing for the rest of my life. I tell you, that's not life. And it does get better than that. See, the key is when we understand the kingdom, we're called to something with eternal consequences. God made us 
have a purpose to partner with him, and that purpose is to see his kingdom advance, and it's eternal. Life is when the power of God flows through you and touches someone else, and the dead walk. As Steve shared, when the life of God blows, when you get to lead someone to Jesus, when you pray for someone and they get healed, that's life. It's not sitting on a beach drinking a beer. There's Nothing wrong with that, I, I, okay? I'm not saying that that's evil or sin or anything. I'm just saying that's so far below what life really is. What if you witnessing to the other people on the beach? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it says, what if you're witnessing to the other people on the beach? What does that mean for us? Starts with this. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Why baptize? Because they realize following Jesus means turning your back on the world. Following Jesus means dying to the things. It means renouncing the spirit of the world. It's not a matter of I add Jesus to what I'm doing. It's not I can be part of the world and go to church on Sunday and just add a little bit of spiritualness to my dead life and think that, no, it's dying to that. Baptism signifies dying, being dead, buried, and resurrected. When you go into the water, baptism is the immersion of believers. When you go into the water, it signifies being buried, dying to the old life, to the world, and being resurrected to walk in new life with Jesus. That's the kingdom. They believed and were baptized. Mary and I uh, lived in South Africa for a number of years and dealt with a Hindu community and then did a lot of ministry into the Indonesia and dealt with a big Muslim community. And in both of those communities, if you believe in Jesus, it's no problem. But the problem happens is when you get baptized. See, Hindus have millions of gods. You want to add Jesus to that plethora of gods, that's okay. But you get baptized, say, says you're cutting off everything else and you're living only for Jesus. And that's when they get offended. That's when they'll kick you out of home. Muslims are the same thing. They believe Jesus is a prophet. You say you believe in Jesus, wonderful. But don't get baptized. There is a uh, attack of the enemy to stop people from following Jesus wholeheartedly. To say, you don't need to be baptized. Let me tell you, the other religions know. Why am I making an issue? We're going to have a baptism on the 28th of February after the service. Uh, if we have to go to two services at that point, it'll be after the second service. Uh, we're still in the process. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do there. But if you haven't been baptized, don't hesitate. If you're following Jesus, be obedient. See, part of the kingdom of God is that we come under his rulership. We follow him. We obey him. The first obedience is be baptized. Die to the world. Now, I grew up in a, as I've told you, evangelical church, and we used to teach that baptism wasn't important. It was just a sign. And the, we always pointed to the guy on the cross next to Jesus 
who Jesus said, today you'll be with me, me in paradise, and guy wasn't baptized, so baptism's not essential for salvation. Let me tell you, if you're nailed to a cross, don't worry about getting baptized. God's grace is enough. Anything short of that, be obedient to Jesus. But let me remind you something I shared in November of the kingdom advancing. We need to keep our focus on the kingdom. The world right now is shaking. There are nations in the world that are shaking because church leaders, Christian leaders have got their focus off Jesus and the kingdom and got their focus onto politics and other things. Let me tell you, don't hit me, but let me tell you. I'm an American, I'm a dual citizen. I follow some of the news. The Republican Party and the Democrat Party in the US are both part of the kingdom of darkness. They're not the kingdom of God. The, the danger is that we begin to think one of them represents the kingdom of God, so I'm going to get behind that, and it doesn't. But then we've got churches and pastors attacking one another because of different beliefs, because they've got their eyes off the kingdom. We need to keep our eyes on, on the kingdom. There's a the whole prophetic arena has taken a real hit in the States because people have prophesied certain uh, political people are going to be the president, and that didn't happen. Now, I've, I've actually heard of one of those prophetic people who's actually been honest enough to say, I blew it. I was wrong. We're in the process of learning. But others start, try to justify. I want to tell you, there's something of God's plan for the gifts to function in team. When the prophetic is outside of team and prophesies just to prophesy, they begin to prophesy what others are prophesying. But part of team, the apostolic, keeps us focused on purpose. So the pro prophecy becomes prophecy that's focused on purpose, not just on prophecy. God's intent is team. So. Don't allow that to shake you. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Just because someone gets it wrong doesn't mean prophecy isn't for today. It is. But we have to be honest enough to say, they missed it. There are many times, Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, I think, oh God, I can't believe I said that that way. And I have to repent. God, I didn't do a good job there. Forgive me. Problem is with the internet, when people prophesy and it's put on the internet, everyone hears it. Fortunately, most of what I say, you, only you hear, though it is podcast, but not a whole lot of people listen to that. And you guys are full of grace, so thank you. So I want to remind you of kingdom advancement. The kingdom has been moving forward from the time of Jesus I shared some of this in November, but I just want to give you a small part of it. When Jesus and the 12 and the 120, the kingdom was established, this is the rulership of God on earth, it was about two millionths of 1% of the world population. That's not a whole lot of people. But that kingdom kept growing. 
Matthew 13 talks about the seed that grows and becomes a huge tree. Kept growing. By 1900, Christianity was 2.5% of the world population. That doesn't sound like a lot, but that was a huge growth. From 1900 to 1960, that doubled. Became 5% of the world population in that 60 years. World population is growing. If you ever looked at the... uh, a graph of the population of the world that goes along like this slowly and then it hits this exponential curve that just takes off. The, the graph of the kingdom growth follows that and it hits this exponential curve that's actually faster. So by 1960, the Christian population was 5%. By 1990, half the time, it doubled again to 10%. From 1990 to 2015, half the time, it more than doubled again to 24%. In the last five or six years from uh, from 2015 to 2020, we've gone to 33%. One in three people in the world are Christians. The kingdom is advancing. And it's advancing faster than the world population. Now, if you were to put that on a graph, you would see that 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 exponential curve is sharper than the the growth of the world. And so if that were to continue, now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not prophesying. I'm not predicting. I'm just simply giving you a perspective that if that were to continue, by 2030, half the world's population will be Christian. And if it continues at that rate, see the problem with, with extrapolation, which is what you're doing on, a, on an exponential curve, you're extrapolating, is that that assumes that conditions continue the same, okay? That's why I'm not prophesying or predicting. But if they were to continue the same, the whole world would be saved by 2045. Whoa! And then Jesus comes back. I am not predicting or prophesying that Jesus is coming back by, 19, by 2045, please. What I said. What I'm saying is all you have to do is look at the math. We live in exciting days. The kingdom is advancing and God chose us to be here at this time. Now, If you think about that for a moment, what you realize is that more people will get saved in the next 15 to 25 years than have been saved in all of history before that. Whoa! Does that sound like revival or what? But if you understand that, Understand this, in 1900, there was an outpouring, or the early 1900s, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that prompted the Pentecostal denominations. Some people refer to it as Azusa Street, where some of it started. It started actually before that in Topeka, Kansas, but it was in that time frame. 60 years later, in the 1960s, there was another outpouring of the Holy Spirit called the Charismatic Movement that affected people from many denominations. In the next couple of years, we're approaching another 60-year period. 
I think we're going to see another incredible outpouring of the Spirit of God. What does that mean? It means this. God's always known his plan. He's always known his plan. He's always known what was going to happen. This was his plan from the beginning. If you ever see the, uh, from the 1980s, the A-team, guy used to say, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> I just see God going, I love it when a plan comes together. If you understand that, you can understand why he's emphasizing in the church a kingdom of priests and the equipping of the saints to do the ministry. If more people are added in the next 15 years, then all of history combined, every one of us is needed. Every one of us is needed. Every one of us is gonna be discipling. Every one of us is gonna be leading people. Every one of us will need the, uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us will be called to, to, to not just sit in the bleachers, but to get on the field. I believe there's something of God's desire, his spirit, wanting to break a mindset that says I'm not important. God can't use me. I don't know enough. I'm not equipped enough. I'm not not called enough. Mary and I have done a lot of ministry in places in the world, Indonesia and Cambodia and Mexico and Africa and different places, um, Latin America, and what we found is that probably 90% of you know more than almost every pastor in those countries. Why are they pastors? Because somebody's got to do it. They didn't say, I don't know enough. The Holy Spirit said, I've got a group of people, put your hand up. Like Isaiah, here am I, send me. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the nations and then the end will come. Why we focus on the kingdom? Because I think we're right. If, if we had a timeline of history that stretched this whole room, we're three inches from that wall mm-hmm. and saying this, the end is here. Would you bow your head? I don't know how to close this. I'm being honest with you. If you don't know Jesus, that's where it starts. If you've kind of played with Christianity but haven't been baptized, then that's your next step. Forget everything else I say. You need to know Jesus and you need to be obedient in baptism. If you do know Jesus, realize the Holy Spirit's saying he's building the kingdom. When Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
it wasn't secondary. He, he's actually saying, Lord, I want your kingdom to come in my life. He spent more time talking about the kingdom. Lord, I can't grasp it. It's so different. Help me to grasp. Help me to understand your kingdom. And then the incredible privilege I have of being a part of that. I want to say if you felt sidelined in the past, God's calling you again. If you've been relegated to the bench, he's saying no. It's not like you have to replace someone else to be on the, the field. What he's doing is that actually the team is becoming hugely bigger. Uh, we think, ah, there's five people on a basketball team on the court at any one time. Everyone else sits on the bench. God's saying, no, this is a different game. I need hundred thousands on the, the court. So you don't have to replace someone else to get into the game. You just have to be obedient to the Spirit. As Johan shared, as you're going, as you're going, just hear what God says. As you're going, take his, his power. I'm going to ask you, if you felt sidelined, just respond to God. And then would you just, between you and God, say in your heart, Lord, I'm following you. I want to be obedient. We're going to deal over the next few weeks with some very foundational things for the church. But the Bible is very clear that we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if we're hearers only, we actually deceive ourselves. So I'm telling you, over the next five or six weeks, I'm going to be challenging you with some things to do. And I hope you just set your heart already. I'm going to obey what the Holy Spirit says. Lord, we just stand humbled and amazed that we get to be a part of what you're doing in probably the most exciting time in history. Lord, where more people are getting saved every single day than have ever gotten saved in the past. Where you're building your church, where you're empowering your people, where you're raising up a kingdom of priests, where you're equipping us to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, we just simply say, as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Here am I, use me. Lord, we want to be focused on obedience, not information. We don't want to learn more information. We want to obey. We want to be walking in obedience to what you say. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?